0: Welcome into a very special episode of the Crossing Swords Podcast. I'm your host, Ty B, joined by Dwayne, and we have a very special guest today to talk about the draft, but we'll get into that in a second. First, a shout out to our sponsor, Pazda Electric. Give them a shout at 716 698 2711. Pazda Electric can help with any residential or commercial project you need, whether it's a new house wiring, uh, fuses, the circuit breakers, or any service type work. Give them a call, 716-698-2711. Let them know Trainwreck Sports sent you. Dwayne, normally I'd bring you in first, but we're going to go to our guest. We have none other than J.D. Burke of Elite Prospects. Also of, He also writes draft and prospect stuff for EP Rinkside and co-hosts the Rinkwide on TSN 1040 over in Vancouver. J.D., I see you're watching some Thursday night football, an absolutely electric game. Your thoughts on Jets Broncos right now?
1: Yeah, well I was watching the game and then I mercifully was rescued by you two boys uh uh for this recording and you know I uh I, I really can't can't thank you enough for that. What an awful <laughs> awful slog of a game. I mean it's just like if there was ever any doubt that I am truly hopelessly like in love with the sport of football i think the fact that i willingly tuned in for denver on their third string quarterback and the new york jets led by adam gase like that's proof positive right there i mean frankly like adam gase needs to be shot from a cannon uh in the opposite direction of the nfl like like send him across the atlantic send him to europe Uh, I don't know, maybe have him coaching football in Malaysia, but get him as far away from like wherever televised football is and make it happen yesterday because uh, it's astonishing how bad this Jets team is. Like you think a team that drafts that highly that often and has that much uh, salary cap space wouldn't be such a train wreck. And yet (laughs) there's your football commentary from JD. It's a rare sighting, (laughs) but it happens. Oh, I, I don't blame you. This is the second straight
0: Thursday. Speaking I, we of teams, we're, we were doing our gambling podcast. Yeah, terrible. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that later, Dwayne, don't worry. But um, I, this is the second straight Thursday. I completely <laughs> forgot that there was Thursday Night Football to bet on on our gambling podcast. Um, it, it's just absolute terrible matchups leading up to Bill's Chiefs. Oh, I can't wait for that one. But, Dwayne, how are you feeling right now? I think we're five days out from the draft. You know, what do you what are you thinking right now about the Buffalo Sabres? What is your confidence level of Kevin Adams with everything coming out right now?
2: You know, um my confidence level definitely went up a bit with that Eric Stahl deal, I thought that would be a home run for the Sabres. You uh you freed up some cap space with the deal and you you know, for the time being, you know, you fixed that second line center position. You know, there are still maybe more deals to be made. but um I'm definitely excited for this draft. Um when we first found pick an 8th at the draft lottery, I was a big advocate of trading out of that position to get a player that can help you now. Um and I'm still not against that, but now ha- diving deeper into this this draft pool of these prospects and really get really uh, you know digging deep into it. Um I do like some of these names that are probably going to be available there at 8. Um and maybe uh, you know a a, a name that you know pops out to me would you know i don't think he'll be there but if he is i think jump on him because i think he'll uh you know he'll he'll you know he'll be ready for the league next year would be with marco rossi he's 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 my guy right now i'm all about i'm all all on that train
0: (laughs) we'll get in we'll get into those guys very soon with jd but first, we got to talk about some just, of these things. Got excited. Got excited. <laughs> we got to talk about some of these things going around in the league right now. Obviously, the first thing I want to get a little bit of an outsider's perspective on what Bob McKenzie had to say about the Jack Eichel thing. I thought it was pretty much no news, which was good news. Obviously, when there's a new GM sort of taking over in some places, you're gonna call just to see who's available. Obviously, why wouldn't you ask to see if their best players available? It just makes some sense. What are your thoughts on that, JD?
1: Well, I, I think for starters, like Jack Eichel, if you can believe it, is just like an incredibly underrated player. Like I think that he, he deserved to be in the top five of the MVP voting. I, I think that what he does for Buffalo uh, is, is so far beyond what very select few can do for their franchises. And I think that's why ultimately Buffalo isn't going to, going to trade him especially because if unless I'm mistaken here that deal was relatively front loaded so it's not it's not like they're necessarily clearing a financial Mm -hmm. burden uh, especially considering that they would have to take some salary back one would have to imagine for a 10 million dollar player so you know you look at some of the contracts that have followed since they signed Jack Eichel you look at the Austin Matthews Mitch Marner I mean those are the some some of the big ones that stick out I, I just can't imagine any scenario where the Buffalo Sabres can improve their short or long-term health by, by consummating a Jack Eichel trade. And, you know, until he demands one, which is definitely going to be a realistic probability if they can't write this ship, I would have to imagine. But until that moment, I don't see any reason why they would uh, travel down that, that road because it's just, I can't fathom a world in which that, that improves the team in any capacity.
0: No, no, you never want to, you never want to trade your franchise guy, your captain. But speaking of trading captains, guys who've been at teams for a long time, it looks like Oliver Ekman Larson could be on the move from Arizona and big rumblings, maybe Edmonton, maybe Vancouver, a lot of Vancouver talk today, JD, you think there's any truth to truth to that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if, if Rick Dollywall of TSN 1040 is reporting it, there's truth to it. I mean, he's, he's really well connected. He's really plugged in. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the fact that every other insider on the beat has, has followed is, is kind of revealing, right? Like, I don't think that this chorus of voices connecting the two sides would exist if not for, for some reason. And I'm a really big believer in the NHL that where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and the thing for me is it's just really hard to fathom a scenario where this works out for the Canucks. I think that the only way I can fathom this working to their advantage is if they can trade Alexander Edler. The alternative is that you have uh, about, I think, $15 million locked up in your left side for next year. And that's before even accounting for Quinn Hughes. Uh, it just it just speaks to a massive logjam, particularly in a world where they want to give Oliu Alevea a shot, they want to give Jack Rathbone a shot. You add Oliver ekman Larson, and it's just impossible to fathom how that happens next year without some really big moves uh, elsewhere on the roster. Right now, you know, I, I know the Canucks are trying to rid themselves of Brandon Sutter's contract. I know they are trying to uh, potentially move on from Jake Rattan and and this this is a move that might allow them to do that. And and I've got sympathy for that, but you know robbing peter to pay paul is how i would describe that because you're moving out the final year of brandon sutter's deal which of course is onerous and an albatross in its own right like you don't want to pay 4.4 4 million for a fourth line center who is barely healthy and can only we're kill paying 10.
0: we're paying six million doc poso for a fourth line winger so we we understand
1: well i mean the canucks are also doing that yeah. for him. so it's uh money well spent <laughs> Louis erickson yeah yeah so uh Wow. Some great, some great deals handed out on that July 1st. So, um, I, I just, I don't know. It's God. really hard to fathom how it makes sense, especially when one considers like the long-term, uh, commitment that comes attached to Ekman Larson, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a very, Seven years. yeah, that's a very long commitment. And then, I mean, you combine that with Hughes, you're going to be looking at a left side that costs 20 million just for the top two pairings. How do you make that work in a salary cap world? Particularly if, if Oliver Ekman Larson, I mean, he's been in pretty steep decline for the last two years and uh, it's hard to imagine a scenario where he improves significantly uh, going forward. Right. And if he's not living up to his contract now, where is he in three, four five years? So I, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Canucks, but then, then again, we'll have to see what's going the other way before I can make that determination because you know, let's say, for example, this deal allows them to move on from like Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson or something to that effect. Right. If it clears cap space uh, and out on Oliver Ekman Larson for all his decline, I think is probably a capable number four on the low end. Right. So let's say it clears cap space. They get a capable number four. Yep. They can plug and play on their left side. Mm-hmm. And it might be worth it because the Canucks have to be all in on next year. They really, really do. I mean, like the, the, the kind of financial hurdles that they're going to have to clear two, three, four years from now are going to be substantial. And that's just kind of par for the course, right? You get two superstars, two players who are in the top three of their position in Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. That's going to happen. Uh, but that means it's all the more imperative that you strike while the iron is hot. And next year being the final year of their entry level deal, I think that uh, there's no better time than now. And that's why, you know what, even if, if you know, acquiring Ekman Larson doesn't help them four years down the road, if it helps them next year, it might be worth it. I mean, you can apply this logic to, to signing Jacob Markstrom even. So yep. uh, it, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens with this one because it's hard to make sense of it on its face. But there is a perspective where the Canucks can wield this, uh, wield this to great effect. We'll just have to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, I think that's where Vancouver really does need some help, though, a little bit there on the back end. Um, obviously, Quinn Hughes is going to be a phenomenal player in the NHL. I remember still when I saw him play at Michigan and I was like, why is this guy number 43 just skating circles around everyone? And it's mm. it's unbelievable, you know, the strides he's taken and how well he's adjusted to the NHL right away. But you look at some of these other other names around right now and you look at the top of the trade bait board and Matt Murray is number one right now in the TSN board, that's mm-hmm. a team you look at, yeah. you're talking about, you know, having two elite players and having your foundation and having to make maneuvers all around them constantly. That's sort of been Pittsburgh for the last ten seasons. Uh Dwayne, I'll send it to you first. Do you believe Matt Murray's gonna be moved and number two do you really think Evgeny Malkin could possibly be had for the right deal right now?
2: Um, absolutely. For the first part of that question, Matt Murray, I think, won't be with Pittsburgh next year. Tristan Jari is the better goaltender, and he's the cheaper goaltender. Um, it really depends because, you know, Pittsburgh's in a position right now where they're not – I wouldn't say they're ready to rebuild or start selling off pieces – because they can still win right now, if they, you know, if they just, you know, bring in, bring more of the right pieces in. But I could, I could also see them selling off of Any Malkin to bring in a boatload um, of and and prospects and players. So I mean, that can go either way. Like I, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm on the fence about that. I, I I honestly I don't see Malkin leaving personally. Uh, Murray absolutely I think he's gone I think he
1: I think he's he he won't be in Pittsburgh next year
0: yeah so JD you think there could be wholesale changes or do you think it's just Matt Murray going out the door
1: I think that Matt Murray is going to be going out the door for sure for all the reasons that that Dwayne raised I I think that Evgeny Malkin though is not heading anywhere right like he, he got his way they traded Phil Kessel a summer ago He's got a big ticket. I don't think Sidney Crosby would especially thrill the prospect of losing his his teammate in Evgeny Malkin. And it's just hard to square that with their immediate term goals, right? Like, there's only so much time left. They can they can build a contender around Sidney Crosby, and that might be another two, three years. So why would you tempt fate? Why would you uh, go against the grain on that? And, and and I can't come up with a good reason. So for, for that by itself, it's hard to picture a scenario where Evgeny Malkin moves. The other one is, I mean, there are just so many other players that can move to create cap space. Uh-huh. And I think that the reason you create cap space is to accommodate players like Evgeny Malkin, not the other way around. So uh, for me, it's I think it's a big no on that one. But then again, I mean, anybody's available for the right price, right? So we'll see how that one goes.
0: Yeah, and there's talks right now that there's a lot of possibly franchise-type players, names at least you know on – on the radars of some of these uh, some of these teams will they be moved especially with the financial ramifications of everything that's going on with you know you're going to have the flat cap this year dwayne give me you know zero to a hundred percent chance that a franchise guy gets moved here because it's it's entirely possible with you know some of the rumors we're hearing. It was from a, you know, a higher level executive that said some of these names are out there. It's just, will they actually be moved? Will anyone be
2: moved? I mean, in a, in a league where Wayne Gretzky was wise to me, anything's possible, right? I mean, so with that being said, uh, like you said, there's a flat cap. Uh, some teams are going to have to make some difficult decisions, Um I, I it it I mean it depends. And when you say franchise, are you talking about at the age of a Jack Eichel, or at the age of a beginning Malkin or a Sidney Crosby, where maybe maybe you would want to move on from a guy like that? See, that's a, that's that's a tough because if you're moving on from a franchise player, you're you're most likely moving on from your captain, right? I mean,
0: uh, generally,
2: more likely than not. Generally, um, you know, one, one name that. People call me crazy, too, about it. But, you know, again, you know, this team has a lot of tough decisions to make. The RFAs that are coming up, UFAs, in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has some tough decisions to make coming up. You know, Braden Point signed one of the best deals in the league, probably right next to uh, Nathan McKinnon's deal, you know, with what he did for that organization this year and what he was getting paid for, you know. And, uh, you know, a reproacher's name Sorelli, you know, that's another guy they got to pay. There's there's some names coming up, and you know that team did just kind of prove that kind of they did prove they, they could win the cup without Steven Stamkos. Do you know I'm not saying it is Steven Stamkos, but that, that is a name that I'm not saying would be on on his way out of Tampa Bay or would That's a big contract. But I mean, if push comes to shove, could a guy like that be on his way out the door? I mean, I I, I mean I don't know, maybe.
0: Yeah, I I think there's an, the there's entirely the possibility of a big name changing here, but I I think, you know, other salaries are going to have to come back in lieu of that sort of to balance things out, at least in the short Mm -hmm. term, JD, what do you think the likelihood is of a big name being moved? I mean, we talked about Ekman Larson. It looks like that deal might, you know, really come to fruition quite soon, but you, you see any of these other names being moved maybe you know, a top line forward. Line A's out there even. It could be anyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you see that type of movement every offseason. Right? There's always at least one one of those types of deals or free agency trades or free agency signings. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I mean, I, I think Tampa Bay makes a ton of sense. If you're looking at that team and you're looking at the way that they just seamlessly moved on from from life after Stamkos, I, I think that he becomes a player that you have to consider moving on from, especially when you look at the players that are up for contracts, whether it's Sorelli, whether it's Sergachev, whether it's Eric Chernak, right? Like they're incredibly vulnerable to an offer sheet right now. Of course, we have to see one actually come to being in the NHL, and that's never a uh, guarantee to happen. Actually, it's not even close. But, uh, you know, I think if there's ever been a scenario where a team should get offer sheeted, then then this is it. And so they need to clear some money off the books. Uh, I think that this one is just too obvious. You have proof of concept that it's the type of uh, move that your team can sustain and, and continue to play successful hockey. Why wouldn't you explore that market at the very least? And you know maybe it's it's Tyler Johnson if it's not Stamkos. Maybe it's it's somebody else completely off the board like Alex Kalorn, uh, especially since he's probably contracted COVID as of this weekend. So. <laughs> Uh, who knows what he'll be like next year? So. Oh my God!
0: <laughs> that's oh, that's a whole di- yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms. Uh, yeah. That whole
2: that whole parade, that whole that whole parade. Of course, it happens. Giving to the, Lord, the COVID on, Cup oh, right the right definition. Somewhere. Yeah. The whole country's going to shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I don't
0: even want to get into that one. That's oh, oh. let's let's move on <laughs> to the draft. <laughs> on Do that you note. Know. <laughs> <it yourself. laughs> Wayne, Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's and, unbelievable. But
2: one last, one last note, no, no, no. And I'm not talking about COVID I'm saying, and, and not to mention if you do make a move with a guy like Stan coast, the pieces you're bringing back are going to be impeccable. Like mean, you're bringing, you're bringing back mm-hmm. picks and prospects guys that are aren't going to cost you a lot of money just to revamp your team's five to six years. You know, yes. it makes sense to me.
0: Yep. Exactly, and that's why it could be entirely possible for a team like the Lightning, especially off winning the Cup. But let's move on to the draft. JD's bread and butter over at Elite Prospects. Let's look in you know, towards the top end of this draft first. How many guys do you have as NHL-ready immediately?
1: Not many. Uh, not many at all, actually. I think the, the number is one player long in terms of certainty. I think Alexi Lafreniere is totally up to the task. I think there's an outside chance that Quentin Byfield could be up to the task, but I, I would rather keep him in the OHL for another year or preferably send him overseas where he can play against men and get a better yep. challenge. Uh, you know, the, the other player, if it's not Alexi Lafreniere or sorry, it's going to be Alexi Lafreniere is the one guarantee, but the other player, if it's not Byfield for me is probably Marco Rossi. Uh, I mean, his, his competitiveness Uh, he's so physically developed. He can handle the rigors of contact. He can handle playing and hard to get parts of the offensive zone. Uh, He's such an advanced distributor of the puck. He might have to play on the wing, but that's, that's, you know, that's part for the course with young players. I I, I really like his game. I think he's a a shoe in top five prospect and it's really kind of funny to me to, to, to look at the discourse concerning uh, Marco Rossi, because I I have a really hard time squaring the way that he's received in the public by some scouting outlets relative to historical comparables like you look at his point production. This is somebody who outproduced Mitch Marner at the same age. And it's like, well, Mitch Marner was able to put it together in spite of his size. Why can't we assume as much about Marco Rossi who has a much stronger base. Yep. Uh, you know, and and I, I just it's hard for me to to square Rossi at the end of the top ten with with that comparable, especially when you consider the Ottawa sixty sevens were an offensive buzzsaw this year. They were not an offensive buzzsaw to the extent that the London Knights were in Mitch Marner's draft year. So I mean, no matter how you slice this, if that's your comparable, you're looking at somebody who's who's keeping some pretty good company. Yep. So uh, I think that he's, he's physically up to the challenge, which is something that might catch some people off guard given his, his diminu- diminutive stature. Love that word. But he's, uh, he's up to it. I can tell you that right now. And if you follow him on Twitter, he's been posting some training videos. I don't follow him on Twitter, but I see people retweeting it. Uh, man, this guy is a gym rat. So uh, ultra competitive. Uh, he thinks the game at an NHL level. Uh, he's built for it. I, I have no doubts about his ability to hang.
0: Yep. Yeah, so yeah, and you- we, we got to get into Marco Rossi right now. Will Marco Rossi be there at number eight? Cause if Marco Rossi is there at number eight, I'm taking him. No doubt. I don't even need any time on the clock. I'm literally writing it down. Uh, as soon as that seventh pick is in, if he's there, do you think there's any chance he's there at number eight for the Sabres?
1: I, I mean, I could, I could foresee a scenario where that that's the case. I mean, I, I think all it takes is one player to kind of sneak up on us and, and that changes everything, right? Like, uh Quinn Hughes shouldn't have been available to the Canucks at seven when they drafted him. Yep. And that, that was, was insane. Yeah, I couldn't believe that at all. But they'll take it, right? And and all it right. took was, was one trade. Like all it's or not one trade, sorry, one pick. It took Barrett Hayden completely throwing things in the blender mm-hmm. and and he was available. Uh so it's it's one of those things where like let's say a team reaches a bit for Seth Jarvis, let's say a team takes Jake Sanderson early. Uh that's all it might take. That's all it might take. If, if the rest of the league does something that is more or less reasonable, it only takes one team going completely off the map and-, and Askarov. Or, or Askarov, yeah. right? Like we've yep. heard it connected to New Jersey. We've heard it connected to Detroit. Yep. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's going in the top 10. So I really do think that there is a scenario, uh, one that isn't impossible to, to imagine. Where uh, he's he's an option for the Sabers. I mean, I, I usually I've been doing a few. Um, whew, I've been doing a few mock drafts and doing a lot of stuff on on elite prospects lately. <laughs> yeah. um, but mock drafts, every time I just the way I see it, like Cole Perfetti to the the Sabers is, and ends up being the pick every time. But as I understand it, Detroit's really high on Perfetti as well, right? And if, and if they proved anything last year, it's that they're not afraid to go a little bit off the board. So <laughs> that's, uh, I, I think that there's totally a world where Rossi is available to Buffalo at number eight. So
0: who do you think at number eight would be the best selection there for the Sabres then? Because you're talking about Perfetti a lot. I know Dwayne is a big fan of Perfetti as well. I wouldn't mind that pick. Another center. I'm a huge it's fan. Never. Movie. Yeah, it's never a bad idea to load up at the center position, especially when we've seen guys come through here. And uh, Casey Middlesex could be a bust, likely a bust. Um, we're worried. We're very worried about that number eight pick. Who do you think there is? Is their best option?
1: Yeah, I got to be honest with you guys. I I hated the Alexander Nylander pick the moment it happened. I hated the Casey metal stat pick the moment it happened. And uh, I am not surprised with the results. I will say, however, you should be feeling pretty good about being able to turn Alexander Nylander into Henry Okihari. That was a, that was an absolute. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God. In yeah. terms of what, they can do, yeah. In terms of what they can do this year. Uh, I, I'm of the belief that ultimately like the Sabres are so far away that they, they just need to get the best player. And I think that uh, ultimately the best player is going to be probably if I were to guess, just based on my Intel, I think they'll have one of Rossi Holtz or Perfetti available to them. And, and any of those players would fit the bill. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, like if you can get Jack Eichel, somebody like Alexander Holtz on his wing, uh, you know, I think that's going to help him uh, come to terms with Buffalo a little bit better in terms of of wanting to stick around and give it a, a chance to see this project through. Right. So uh, that's a player that I think would make a lot of sense for this franchise, but I also think he would make a lot of sense for the ducks. So, I mean, whether he's available <laughs> or not, who can say, uh, you know, they could pair him up with Trevor's egress, but I, I, I do love the idea of four or five years from now, looking at a Sabres lineup with, with Eichel and Holtz just wreaking havoc on the world. Like, I think that could be pretty entertaining, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any one obvious candidate. I just think it's ultimately whoever is the best player available As boring as that may be. Uh, just go ahead and take that player and, and rest assured that, that you're going to, uh, reap the rewards of that process.
0: Yep. I'd love the idea of adding Alexander Holtz there on the right wing. I think that'd be a huge addition guy who gets mm-hmm. up and down the ice can score as well. Um, <clears throat> it seems like that's been the main thing. You got to put the puck in the net Guys who can skate do well with Eichel. You saw that with Victor Olsson right away. He's able to move up and down the ice with him, and he's got an unbelievable one timer and it worked immediately. So if you're able to put some skilled guys out there with him, that's gonna be the number one. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, you're hearing that right now, and those are your, you know, like pipe dreams of, of guys for the Sabres of Draft and hearing, you know, you're likely to get at least one of those three. How are you feeling right now?
2: You know, because of our terrible history at eight, from Rasmus to Linen to Casey Middlestad to Alex Nylander, our us drafting at eight historically has been absolutely horrendous. Um, again, as I dug deeper into this draft and who might be available, you know, I, like I said, I was a big Colt Perfetti guy, but I don't think he'll be there at eight. Um, like, like, like JD said, um, you know, Detroit seems pretty high on them, but, you know, they could go off the board and maybe they do take Askaroff. So, if Perfetti, you know, if perfetti's not there, you know, my big thing is Marco Rossi, um, I'm very, very, very high on him. And I think if he's there at six, and he's still out there at six, I think you trade up to get a guy like him. And maybe you sacrifice, you know, an, a, a, maybe a, a third-round a third pick and a Casey middlestep to see if you can move up. If that's enough. I don't know if that's even enough. But that's how high I am on this kid. I also like Lucas Raymond a lot. Uh, Anton Lundell. You know, those are my three right there. I don't think Lucas Raymond will be there. Um, But you know, again, pipe dream.
0: Yep, it's it's. (laughs) There's tons of scenarios right now. But the Sabres have been having more success recently. Later on in the draft, they're not nailing those first couple rounds, which really sucks. But they've been able to find guys like Victor Olofsson in the seventh round. Um, it looks like, you know, you could have a guy in Eric Portillo, who I believe is a fifth round pick, going to be leaving, learning from Steve Shields there at Michigan now. Is there anyone, J.D., you see later on in these rounds, names that really stick out for you that could potentially be a diamond in the rough?
1: Yeah, there, there are a few players. I mean, like, uh, it really depends on on your definition, right? So I won't get too inside baseball here and get into <laughs> the lab about what what fits this definition or not. But I mean, like, Damon Hunt sticks out as one who is, is going to be really underappreciated by the public sphere. But my understanding is that he is far more rated by by NHL teams based on the people I've, I've spoken with, right? So he's probably gonna go a bit higher than we anticipate. Uh, but, but based on public scouting outlets, I think that he's perhaps a bit underrated by, by the public sphere. He did so much with so little, uh, in Moose Jaw. He had a fantastic draft minus one year as well, which you kind of need as proof of concept considering how much time he lost to injury. Uh, I, I think that there's some real, uh, fertile ground there to to get a, a really valuable prospect for your for your team's pipeline. Um, I think another player is probably, and, and I've been evangelizing him everywhere I've gone is, is Ethan Edwards out of uh, the Spruce Grove Saints and the AJHL. He didn't put up a ton of points, but I mean a, a really big thing, particularly when you're scouting players at lower leagues is you want to see how they they perform when the talent pool compresses. And what I mean by that is, so he was playing in, in Junior A with with the AJHL. What happens when he plays uh, a level further than that, for example? So the World Junior A uh, Challenge, the World Junior A, yeah, that, that's what it's called. I keep getting it mixed up with the World Classic. Um, and, and he looked fantastic. He looked phenomenal. He actually bested uh, Michael Benning. Uh, totally beat him up the lineup on Canada West roster. He scored a beautiful goal there. And when you watch his tape with, with Spruce Grove, you just see a player who's got really great off-the-puck instincts. He's really involved in this team's offensive cycle. Uh, he can activate off of the, off of the blue line. And, and just really, he, he thinks the game at a high level. And I, I, I really do think that he's getting underrated because of where he plays and perhaps because of his low scoring totals. I mean, he's like barely half a point per game, right? He's hardly putting up Michael Benning numbers, but I would take Edwards over Benning in heartbeat. And if you just want a little bit of added confidence with that type of player, I mean, just look at the fact that he's going to the University of Michigan. Do you think yeah. they'd be taking a, a total plug out of the AJHL? Uh, I'm not so sure about that. And you know what? I think that NHL teams have a lot of time for for Ethan Edwards as well, based on the ones I've spoken with. Now, uh, another player uh, that, that we're really high on collectively, at Elite Prospects, that could be a huge diamond in the rough i mean uh, again I, I get the sense based on conversations i've had with 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 sources that he's probably going to go between 45 and 60 but uh you know what that could be a gem if he ends up playing capable top four minutes right like that's a total gem oh, yeah. in the rough once you splice the numbers so uh that's brock faber of the national team development program he is to me the clear-cut second best defenseman on that blue line and it, I, I say that without even a moment's hesitation. He's the best skater on that group. Uh, you know, his, his mechanics are so fluid. Like if I was teaching somebody how to skate, if I was teaching somebody how to organize their weight, uh, how to how to get a seamless knee bend, how to sit comfortably into their base, how to distribute weight as they uh, shimmy east west. Like the, his tape is what I would play. And his ability to, to quash out opposing rushes, his ability to uh, suss out uh, offensive threats and close on them as they become uh, an issue, like he defends at perhaps one of the most advanced levels in this entire draft. And I think that, that his, his skating, his defensive instincts, it creates such a good floor for him. And, and for me, it's like if, if you're taking a player in the second round that you're confident can at least be a third-pair defenseman at the NHL level, a right shot, I think that is pretty good value. So uh, I've got a ton of time for Brock Faber. I think that the public sphere is sleeping on him in a major way, and I think that's going to become uh, evident pretty quickly here as he transitions to the, the University of Minnesota.
0: Yep, tons of opportunity yep. going into the Division One level. Dwayne, you got a question there?
2: Yeah, um, actually, he brought up the uh, National Development Program. Uh, We have a kid that developed locally here in Buffalo with the Junior Savers Program, and now he's with, I believe, Boston University, and Luke Tuck, uh, obviously younger brother of uh, Alex Tuck in Vegas. Um, You know, your opinions on him right now, I believe he's projected to be a second-round type of guy, but he's a big kid. Um, You know, I've been kind of high on him, too. Um, Just your opinion on Luke Tuck.
1: Oh geez, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel terrible right now. I hope he doesn't <laughs> listen to this podcast, but you put me on the spot here, and I have got almost no time for Luke Tuck's game. Like he's a clear do not draft for me. Uh, totally. You know, he's got size, he's physical, he can throw some really great hits, but his off the puck instincts are so poor. He doesn't get enough movement off of the puck to to create scoring chances for himself, and and he just he's the type of player for me who just kills a team's ability to improve their offensive health. Like a, like a player who gets a lot of shots off from very low percentage spots in the offensive zone at the expense of his team's uh, ability to possess the puck. Uh, you know, I, like we, we used to joke this year, like Luke Tuck has never seen a low percentage shot that he didn't want <laughs> to take. And just like the disappearing act, the, the poor discipline, you know, I think a lot of people are going to see a size. They're going to see the hits. They're going to go, okay, we got ourselves a power forward in the making here. I don't see it. How, don't see it how
0: coachable do you think that is when you get to a higher level? I mean, obviously it's with the development program and you should be learning those sorts of things. But as we get into a more analytical driven National Hockey League, do you think those sorts of things can be taught to a, to a, a young player to where they can develop a full game, or is, or is that something that can be completely lost?
1: Well, I, I think that there are developmental flaws and there are inherent flaws, right? And, and I think that these flaws that I've tracked in Luke Tuck's game, a lot of them trace back to, to hockey sense. Whatever your recipe is, and everyone's yeah. got a different one, I think that, that broadly speaking, one would be able to make a fairly compelling argument that Tuck uh, is lacking in this department. And, and that's the kind of inherent flaw that you really can't teach. Like it's, it's really difficult to get someone to create passing lanes. If they're not uh, visualizing them in their draft year, if they're not visualizing them uh, in in this age group, right? Like Mm -hmm. offensive spacing is such a huge thing. If you're going to produce particularly off the rush. And if you're constantly taking yourself out of the play, if you're constantly finding a way to not be a passing option, I, Uh, who's to say that someday it's just going to magically click and you're going to be able to see those plays on the ice you're going to be able to to slow down or speed up as is required based on the the position of your defenseman and the position of the forward who's carrying the puck you know these are these are very inherent things and that's of course why we just don't rate him especially highly I mean we we try to focus on upside at least to a reasonable degree right like there's I'll be honest with you, there's nothing I hate more than somebody who goes out there and does the public scouting thing, and it's, like, their entire first round are, like, completely boomer boomer bust prospects, and then one out of ten hits, and they declare themselves a genius. I'm just like, ugh, that's that's not really fair, especially when you're not going to take the L for the other nine that didn't pan out, predictably so. Uh, You know, so we we try to kind of factor that in. But ultimately, uh, Luke Tuck, like, what's the play with him you're going to get a fourth liner maybe like third liner if if his development just completely explodes on the tracks at at boston university i i just think that there's so much better time spent elsewhere with prospects that you could develop in the third fourth fifth sixth seventh round like i i made a a board of 100 players long and i couldn't find a way to uh, put him anywhere near it so you know, I, could he improve? Sure. Could I have like just a terrible read on his game based on the sample of of Luke Tuck games that I've seen? Also possible, right? Like I'm just I'm just one asshole with an opinion, and there are hundreds of assholes with opinions <laughs> in the scouting community, right? That. So. Like the, that's, that's the reality of the scenario, right? Only so many can, so, only so many of us can be right. And that means a lot of us are often wrong. I mean, the, the best in the industry are hitting on maybe 30% of their picks. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hardly preaching the gospel here. It's not set in stone, but in terms of a probable, probabilistic bet, okay, that was a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> I'm not especially fond of what Luke Tuck presents and, and he got so many opportunities too on that American development team. You know, he was for me like the poster boy of a very strangely deployed American uh, team development program is he just kept getting first line minutes, first power play opportunities and, and doing very little to nothing with them. And, and you know, somebody like, for example, uh, Hunter McCown, who I ended up liking a, a fair bit and on their bottom pair couldn't get any minutes for the, the damn life of him. Uh, I just kept going, like, what? What's happening here? What am I missing? And apparently, something because uh, the the coach there saw something in talk that I didn't, and he got the minutes to uh, to kind of speak to that. But uh, I, I think that the TLDR is not a fan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, so, so JD, would you say
1: no? Would you say the best it.
2: value? Would you say the best value for him would probably be like fourth round and after?
1: Then I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't draft yeah. him at all, but <laughs> like. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Everyone's, mileage, everyone's everyone's mileage varies so I mean like here's the thing I wouldn't draft him personally but in terms of his value and in terms of the point in the draft where that becomes reasonable I would say that right around the fourth round is where if a team drafts him I'm not going to like shiv them in my write up you know what I mean? <laughs> there comes a point where you go okay they've probably got some information I don't and there's a way that you can make this sensible and, and I think that's probably it for me
0: yeah so jd we're we're about four we'll be four days out once this episode's released from the draft you plug anything you got coming from elite prospects i know you guys will have a bunch coming and it's not just draft stuff right in front of the draft you guys are
1: going all year long Mm -hmm. yeah no we're trying to do something a little bit different like we um we're trying to approximate what it's like for, for hardcore fans to, to get a look into an NHL front office, so you, within reason, of course. No NHL front office has people tweeting like I do. But uh, you know, we, we basically try to approximate the scouting process and, and try to approximate uh, just a, a way for team, uh, people to keep up with their team's prospects in the most holistic way possible. And that means traveling all over the hockey world to scout these games in person, talking to industry insiders, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're really on the front lines of that stuff. And it's a really interesting exercise. I mean, I, when I took over at elite prospects, I just said to myself, we can't charge this rate and, and expect to keep up just covering the NHL or covering everything scattered with, with no real focus. For me, it was clear. Uh, elite prospects, it's in the name. So we're going to provide co- uh, prospects coverage all year round. Right now we're putting out our top 75 affiliated prospects. Uh, tomorrow I'm in charge of putting out, 25 and uh 25 all the way to 21 so that's that's going to be a really fun exercise for me I, I i won't give away any of the goods of course it'll be published by the time this episode comes out so you'll have to check that out uh we oh, also well. have a craft guide that we put out and that's just a what a project that was 1200 pages later all sorts of analytics in there that you can't find anywhere else uh, just there's so many articles on the way between now and and Tuesday that I just hope I survive to see the draft myself. Like it's, it's, it's a struggle, fellas. Like I am working some insane hours, but I'm so happy to do it. So happy to work with people at elite prospects and uh, just uh, even more enthusiastic about our output.
0: Yeah. We're extremely excited. We were able to get you up. Um, so close to the draft, and we're so excited to be able to read some more of the stuff that's going to be coming out because you guys do such an amazing job of informing the hockey community on what's coming up and what's next in the hockey world, and to be able to infuse the analytics world with sort of you know the old school scouting, getting to the games, putting your eyes to the tape. It's such a great added added addition. And it's something we look forward to every year. I know, I know, I'm always paying attention. So is Dwayne. So, thank you guys for keeping us informed. JD, we'd love to have you back in the future to talk prospects and uh, anything draft because obviously you know your stuff. And we can't wait because I know, I I know you gave us one of these guys that's going to be a diamond in the rough. They're going to pan out. We're going to have this clip to go for years to come, and we can't we can't wait to be showing it off to everyone.
1: I, I really uh, hope yeah. so guys. I mean, otherwise I'm just totally full of shit and I'm going to have to like hide under a rock <laughs> and, and never talk about prospects ever again. So yeah. I, I appreciate your really kind words. I appreciate yeah. your support. you know, one, one point that I always try to make is like, we're trying very hard to do something different and, and it's only possible with reader support. So thanks so much. I, I can't say enough. Yeah, sure. appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I mean, Dwayne will get his entirety of his fan base in Vancouver against you if none of these hit, So oh, I, yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to scare you or anything, but I'll deserve it. He's I'll got a couple hundred that. at least out there.
2: I'll be I, uh, sure I speak, Speaking of Vancouver, real quick before you let you go. Uh, what's the story on Tyler Toffoli out there? Do you think he's a Canuck next year? Or do you Not think? Cool.
1: Uh, I do. Yeah. I think that, so their order of priorities right now, uh, trying to complete an Oliver Ekman Larson trade that isn't insane. Uh, trying to re-sign Jacob Markstrom, and then I think Toffoli. He fit in so well with that top six forward group, and I think that they would, they would do well to keep him around. And I think that he liked it here as well. So I'm anticipating that something will come together between the two sides.
2: Now that always that, that, that ongoing rumor that's been coming out of Vancouver now for the past few months, could that mean the exit of a Brock Besser? I mean, could that happen?
1: I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't think there is as much appetite to move Brock Besser as perhaps. (laughs) Dwayne's upset.
2: Dwayne's upset. upset I don't think Uh, it's going to happen either. I'm a big Brock Besser guy.
0: We would love him, but I don't think it's happening.
1: He's a great dude.
0: And we'd love great dudes in Buffalo. Wish we could get him. But speaking of great dudes, JD, you were great. Thank you again for joining us. For Dwayne, myself, Ty B. It's going to be a huge draft for the Buffalo Sabres. Kevin Adams, Kevin with a Y, don't Kevin with a y. mess it up. Please don't mess it up. You've got your first chance. I know you don't have much hired around you. If you need any help, we can get Literally you. Nothing. We can get you JD on Zoom whenever you need. If you need some help for your picks, let's go Savers.